I want to add a third step to that prayer of confession that I actually learned from Francis Schaeffer. You know, he said, we're, we're, we're familiar with, uh, Lord, I confess my sins to you. And then we expect God to forgive us, right? Right? One of the things that he said to always do to kind of seal that no matter how many times you sin, confess it, God will forgive it, and then you finish off your prayer by saying, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Lord. Thank you for your forgiveness. Schaefer says, sometimes in the morning I sin and I confess and God forgives, and that same afternoon I do the same thing again. He said, but I confess, and he forgives. And, and I always say, thank you. And, and what that does is that, that seals it in your heart. And, and you kind of walk in freedom once again. You don't, you don't have to care. Thank you kind of ends the guilt, doesn't it? Which is really one of the tools of the evil one to make us live lives of defeat. Well, we're, we're, we're going to go through uh, 2 Peter chapter 3. I said to you last week that, that Peter is writing these two letters, 1 and 2 Peter, to people who are, who are being treated poorly. They're being mocked and ridiculed. One of the things that I, you know, I was born in 1951. I know I don't look it, but I was. It's a long time ago. But I, I realized that when I was growing up, it felt like I was growing up in Jerusalem. You know what I mean? Like, all my, all my friends and their families were very similar to us. They kind of believed the same things. They certainly believed in God. They believed that, that the Bible was God's word. They believe that Jesus really came. So I kind of grew up in Jerusalem. But I also realized that as I became an adult, you know, especially in my high school years and then later on in college, somehow I had moved from Jerusalem to Babylon. And, and in Babylon, you know, I was really different. And, and the people around me that I assume were like the people that I had known growing up, they were different. And, and you wouldn't know it by looking at them because they looked like me, but they didn't believe like me. And from the time of the 60s, here we are, 2021, it's the world has only gotten more hostile. Not, not, you know, we're not being thrown into prison. We're not being uh, put to death. I mean, our brothers and sisters around the world are. There are more people martyred for the cause of Christ today than any time in history. And you need to be sure that as, as the Christian impact fades from this country, 
and, it's, and it seems to be, unless there's a huge revival, and I pray for that revival, that it's only going to get more hostile. So we need, especially, if, if you're a parent, if you're a couple in your neighborhood, First and Second Peter would be, would be a good primer for you to regularly go over to remind yourself of who you are and your identity. Because if you forget your identity, you're in trouble. And, and as I've told you, the things that have to be always at your fingertips and clear thinking is the answer. I've told you four questions. I'm actually going to give you five this morning. And, and, and here they are. The first question is, where did we come from? Where did we come from? Are we here by accident? Or was there a plan? Is there a design? Is there a God? And were we made in his image when we were created? So where did we come from? The question of origin. Then the question of meaning. <clears throat> what is life all about? There's a, there's a whole movement today, I don't know if you're aware of it. We're, we're kind of at the beginning of it. It's been going on for some time. But, it's, but we are in the era of the modern self. Have you heard that phrase? And here's what the modern self says. I get to decide who I am and why I want to live. I get to decide. Um, breakthrough or, or Breakpoint Ministries, which is Chuck Colson's ministries, the Colson Center. I'm, I went through the year-long program of the Centurions program. It's the most rigorous program I've ever gone through. But they're talking very much about the modern self. So that, so that people say things like this. Uh, I'm a woman trapped in a man's body. That's the kind of culture we're living in. And, and, and the question for us is, how does that fit into the purpose of God? Because the purpose of God, God actually had a purpose in mind for creating us and creating this world and creating all the laws of nature. He had something in mind. If you want to know, if you want to see like a, a synopsis of what he had in mind, read Ephesians chapter 3. We, we, as the people of God, are a testimony, ultimately. We are the ultimate testimony of the manifold glory of God. Get, wrap your head around that one. So there's a purpose. There's a purpose. And we need to know that purpose. And we need to be clear about that purpose. And then the question of morality how do I live while I'm here? In other words, mostly, how do I get along with you? <laughs> how do we get along with each other? How do I keep my boat from bumping into your boat? And if my boat bumps into your boat, what are my responsibilities? The question of morality. And then, and then the final question, you know, is... What happens when we die? 
What happens when we die? The question of destiny. Um, at every funeral, here's what I tell people. There's only four options with regard to destiny. You might think there's a lot of options, but there's only four. When it's over, it's over. Number two, everybody goes to that great playground in the sky, no matter how you lived, which we know is crazy because the one thing we do know is that Adolf Hitler is in hell. Because <laughs> if he's not, this is an immoral universe. No, I take that back. It's not immoral, it's amoral. I mean, the ah in Latin is there's no morality. That, that means that Mother Teresa and Adolf Hitler are in the same place. <laughs> Does anybody believe that? And then thirdly, here's the, here's the third one, and, and this is partially true, especially for unbelievers. Somebody's keeping score. Somebody's keeping score. Because this is a moral universe. There is right and wrong. And somebody's keeping a record of your right and your wrong. All of it. Everything you say, everything you think, everything you do. Sometimes in that order. And then, and then finally, here's the fourth choice. Is there somebody out there that cares about my situation and wants to do something about it? And that's the, and that's the grace option. That is, is there somebody who is willing to take on all of the wrong that I've done in life and pay the debt that I owe for all of my immoral living. That's the grace option. There is, there is a fifth question I've added. And I think this is probably the first question before all these other questions. And that's this question. Um, who's your authority? I had a friend telling me that his... His uh, third grader came home and they were talking about sexuality and about marriage and about her future. And he was shocked by what she said. And he said, John, what do I tell her? I said, don't get into the whole sexuality question. Because there's, there's a million questions that people are going to ask. Here's the big question that kids need to understand. Who is your authority? Because if you just live the way you want to live or the way you feel, if that's your authority, I'll see you in jail tonight. Here's why. Because sin never ends well. It may take a day, it may take a week, it may take a year, it may take a month, it may take ten years, it may take a hundred years, but sin never ends well. And I can tell you this, all the sin that we see in the world, all the perversity, all the lying, all the cheating, all the stealing, all the corruption in Washington, it's not going to end well. Because <laughs> it never does. And the reason is, it's because it's not true. 
Listen, there are things in God's word that he says that I don't like. Because there are times where I want to do what I want to do. But God says, sorry, John. (laughs) I'm in charge. You're not in charge. You're right. You're right. So the question, where did I come from? Why am I here? How do I live while I'm here? What happens when I die? And the big question, and, and teach your children this. You know why we live the way we do? We live the way we do because God is our authority and his word is our authority. Now, let's, let's read this chapter because I think it's just so important and then I've got some questions at the end, okay? So, can we get that up? And I really want you to read this because here's why. When you read the Word of God, it's not just an exercise, it's not just a a devotional practice. When you read the Word of God, here's what's going to happen to you. Your confidence is going to grow. Your identity is going to be stabilized. You're going to be able to remember, oh, this is who I am. I really am different. Verse 1. Let's read. I'm going to read it. I'll try not to make any comments because I've got some things to say at the end, but you know how that works. So, This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. That's what happens when you hear a sermon or you read the scriptures and you understand what is being said or taught, you get stirred up. (laughs) You get stirred up. That you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. So don't be surprised. This is not new information. It's in the Old Testament. The apostles taught it, and especially Jesus taught it. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days. When did the last days start? With the coming of Jesus. We've been in the last days since the coming of Jesus. And they were scoffing at Jesus in his day, and they are scoffing up to this day. And here's why they're scoffing. It's not really what they believe. It's not the information. It's more of a preference. And here's their preference. They prefer sinful desires. That's what they prefer. And I gave you the example last time of of the writings of Aldous Huxley. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? It's It's funny to me that no one preaches on the second coming today. When's the last time you heard a message on the second coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. This is called the argument of uniformity. In other words, we live, we live in an enclosed universe and everything is uniform. Everything was this way in the past, it's this way now, and it's going to be this way in the future. 
<laughs> and then there's some sarcasm from Peter, right? Verse 5, For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago, the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. So in the original creation, there was this canopy of water, and then there, there, below the earth it was like an irrigation system. Plants were watered by this irrigation system. And ultraviolet light was kept out. That's how lizards grew into dinosaurs. Because if a reptile, <laughs> if a reptile is allowed to grow like a catfish, they're only limited by their environment. Verse 6, and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. So I told you last week, the whole fossil record can be explained by a worldwide flood. And, and every culture in the world has in their history and memory a worldwide flood. It's not just in the Bible. There's a, there is a there is a record, or they, they would call it folklore, of the earth being overrun by water. By, but by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire. So God said, I'm never going to destroy the world with water again, but what is he going to do? He's going to destroy it with fire. You know what a rainbow in the sky means? It means the polar ice caps are not going to melt and flood the earth. That's what it means. Not going to happen. The next destruction of this planet, and the universe for that matter, will be an, an atomic explosion in which every atom will be split. And the energy, the energy that will be released will destroy the entire universe being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. That's, I told you last week, God is very patient. And, and evil people are storing up judgment for themselves. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Why is he being patient? He's being patient for you. Who are the you? His people. He's being patient for you. Not wishing that any, who are the any? They're the you. <laughs> Not wishing that any should perish, but that all, who are the all? The all are the any, and the all and the any are the you. but that all should reach repentance. In other words, God has people. The book of Revelation describes people from every tribe, every language, and every nation. God, God has planned for representatives in his family from all the tribes of the earth. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. There's that explosion. 
and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. Since all these things, here's for us now, this is what we are to be. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they, as they burn. But according to the... Can you imagine the energy and the heat that's going to be generated when God destroys this universe and all of this creation that we know? Verse 13, but according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and new earth in which we are, in which righteousness dwells. So, so we are to watch and we're to be ready. Don't get sucked into what the culture or this world tells you is right or wrong, because they're wrong. Don't get brainwashed. Don't get brainwashed. I, I used to tell people, <laughs> sometimes I have the feeling that when Jesus comes back, he's going to say, I did mention that that was an insane asylum, didn't I? Like, no, but that would have been helpful. Verse 14, therefore, beloved, since you are waiting, so there you are, if you're really waiting for the second coming, I'm, I'm living my life, you know, we sold our house here in Plainfield, we're building a house in Tennessee, slowing down because all the costs of materials are so high, but, but, you know, we're getting ready to build that house. I'm also getting ready for that new heaven and new earth. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. I prayed to the Lord this week, and I said, because there were a lot going on in our lives this week, I said, Lord, I don't have personal peace right now, but I have peace in you. Right now, there's, there's troubled waters, but that's okay. In the world, you will have tribulation, but in me, you'll have peace. So I have peace with Jesus. Spotless doesn't mean perfection. It just, it just means that I, I continually wash myself with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And count the patience of our Lord. I think this is, listen to this now. Here's the reason God is patient. Why doesn't God do something? Count the patience of our Lord as salvation, salvation just as our beloved brother Peter also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them which are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. Here's what he's talking about here. Try, try to align the sovereignty of God with the free will of man, and then bring in election, and, and try to put all that together. And, and here's what Peter's saying in these verses. It makes my head hurt. It makes my head hurt to think about these things. And, and, and he says, and people who get it wrong, they just twist it. Verse 17, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, 
Take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So this, I wrote three questions here. I want to go over them quickly. Here are the three questions. This is the question I hear a lot from people. Why doesn't God do something about the suffering in the world? Show of hands. <laughs> we know that one, right? This one always comes up. Why doesn't God do something about suffering in the world? Second one, why is Jesus coming again? And then thirdly, we just went over this at the end. How then should we live? How then should we live? Francis Schaeffer, Chuck Colson. How then should we live? First question, why doesn't God do something about the suffering in the world? I've told you before, don't answer people's questions right off. Ever. Ever. Don't ever. Because it's a trap. Wise as a serpent. You'll never, you'll never corner a serpent. If you, if you do corner a serpent, he's made a huge mistake. Because other than his mouth, he's pretty helpless. And if you've got a shovel, he's even in worse shape. So, so no, here's an example. If someone ever asks me, John, do you believe that people who die without Jesus are going to hell? You know what I say? Do you believe in hell? Do you believe in hell? And most of them will say, not really. So my answer doesn't mean anything, right? <laughs> Or if they say, yes, I believe in hell, what's the follow-up question? Who do you think is going there? Wise as a serpent and gentle as a dove. Why doesn't God do something about the suffering in the world? So these are the questions that I bring up when they say that. Where did suffering originate? Has suffering always been with us? Was there ever a time in the history of the world when suffering wasn't here? If they know anything about the Garden of Eden, they say, yeah, there was a time. So where did suffering originate? It originated in the Garden of Eden. And why did suffering come? Suffering came because Adam and Eve rejected the truth of God and his word. And when you reject the truth of God and his word, just as God predicted, you're going to suffer. So suffering is the result of the choice of the federal head of humanity. And it's just been growing exponentially. And then secondly, I said, what keeps it going? <laughs> Where did it originate? And, and why does it keep growing? Why does it keep growing? Do you want to know where most suffering comes from? It comes from man's inhumanity to man. Like, people get snake bit, people get mauled by bears, but it's, it's relatively rare. Bears don't start wars. Humans do. So who keeps it going? We do! I have a simple solution for suffering. Just do everything that God says to do. Follow the Ten Commandments. It, can you imagine if everyone in this world decided not to lie? Not to steal, 
to be satisfied with their own stuff. Where to come from? What keeps it going? And then here's the third question I ask him. Do you really want God to do something about it? I mean, really? You really want him to? Because, because here's what you should know. He's not just going to take out the so-called really bad people. He's going to take you out. Like, you really want God's justice? Is that what you want? I don't. I want his mercy. I want his grace. Second question, why is Jesus coming again? Quickly. You know why Jesus is coming again? To keep his promise to his people. To keep his promise to his people. You know, he gathered his disciples on the night before he was betrayed. Listen to what he said. He's the one that's going to be crucified the next day. Don't let your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive. Yes, there's going to be destruction, but there's also going to be a reception, and we're part of that reception. To keep it. And, and here's what he says. Comfort one another with the fact that Jesus is coming again. Do you know, unbelievers see God's delay in the second coming of Jesus as a vice. You know, God's people, you know how we see it? We see it as a virtue. I thank God that he didn't end the world in 1721. Because if he did, none of us would be here. So we see his delay as incredible patience. Number two, to complete God's plans. I said before, God has a plan, and he's going to get to the end. Three, to demonstrate God's holiness and justice. You know, there's a wonderful, loving side, merciful, gracious side to God, but there's also a just side. And it's going to be put on full display at the second coming of Jesus. And then this one, this one, it's, through, it's in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Jesus is coming to destroy the enemies of God. He's coming to destroy the enemies of God. There's an incredible passage. Isaiah 53 is all about the suffering servant. But Isaiah 52, verses 13 through 15, is kind of a capsule version of the first and second coming of Jesus. Verse 13 says, Behold, my servant shall act wisely and shall be exalted. So that's like a summary verse. Verse 14, And many of you were astonished. His appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So that's his crucifixion. In his first coming, he was crucified. Why? He was the savior of the world. Now listen to verse 15. Just as he was so, it was so shocking to look at him in his crucifixion. Verse 15, so shall he startle. Some versions have sprinkle. It's not sprinkle, it's startle. So shall he startle many nations. Listen to this. Kings will shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they will see. And that which they have not heard, they will understand. It's going to look like this at the second coming of Jesus when he encounters 
all the rulers and kings and nations that defy him, it says they're going to go, it's him? It was him? And then thirdly, how then should we live? Quickly, number one, don't be intimidated. Don't be intimidated and don't be, brainwash. don't be brainwashed. Understand you're part of the resistance. We're outnumbered, but we're not giving up. Right? We're part of the resistance. Remember the flood. It really did happen. Like the flood does great damage to, the, to these pronouncements that people make, whether it's a fossil discovery or... I told you last week, they find shark's teeth in the, in the deserts of Arizona. They find seashells in canyon country. <laughs> Look at the world around you through God's eyes. See, God's not concerned. One day with the Lord is as a thousand years as a thousand years as one day. Remember the purpose of God. He has a purpose, and you're part of it. You're part of God's eternal plan. And then, and fi finally, live in anticipation. I, I'm excited when I read this stuff, you know? It's like, I'm excited. I'm anticipating. I can't wait to live in a world of righteousness. And it's going to happen. It's going to happen. So, so we have the truth on our side. Don't be brainwashed and don't be intimidated. And live, live in anticipation. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your power and your goodness. Thank you for these words from Peter, who knew what it was like to be threatened, even to be crucified upside down. Bless your word this morning to your people, to their hearts. Seal it, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.